I'm Anna Parker. And I'm Miriam Chancellor. Welcome to Big Mistake, the podcast that unpacks the failures and mistakes of top professionals. So, to make us, and hopefully you, feel better about the mistakes we all make in our careers and lives, we'll be talking with high performers to understand the behind the scenes and less glamorous moments of the business world. Anna, we're back. We're back. Back to big, back to big, big mistake back. after a bit of a hiatus. So tell us, why have we been off uh, the podcast recently? I have a four-week-old. Yeah, I had a baby boy. We had a baby Yay. boy. And that's so exciting. William, who yes. is very cute and blessing this world already. And yeah. I am now pregnant as well. Not since. It's obviously Yay. been for a while. Uh, and I've now only got two months to go. But I was thinking about the fact that you've just had a baby. I'm just about to have a baby. I know you really love the podcast of parenting. What who is what is it? Parenting hell. Pa- parenting hell. Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe obsessed with okay, it. Okay, you're it's obs- my must must listen to. Yep, I'm determined. So my must listen. My listen to podcasts are Parenting Hell, by the way. Yeah. Dax Shepherd, Armchair Expert, yeah. and Tim Ferriss. Okay. And I just started listening to a bit of Jay Shetty. And I just heard Trevor Noah has started up a podcast, which I'm quite interested into. And sometimes I listen to the Diary of a CEO, the, C- the Stephen Barber. Oh yeah, one. oh that's cool. Yeah, I like I like hearing what what you listen to. So mine are uh, the Tim Ferriss. Although I haven't, I've had a bit of a break from him recently. Uh, and actually, more recently, I've been listening to The Rest Is History with Tom Holland and Dominic, someone or other. It's they're, they're these two historians and they take a particular mm. character or time of history and unpack it and it's very educational and for someone who considers their general knowledge to be not that great and I never took history or classics or geography at school, I'm finding it so helpful just filling my... Oh, wow. ga- yeah, really rate it for anyone who just wants to upskill on your uh, on your general, general knowledge and history knowledge. I really rate them. And that it's just the two of them. They sometimes have a guest and they have this great banter going on. But where I was going with this this line of conversation was that I know how much you rate Parenting Hell as a yes. podcast, but I'm determined, Anna, to not let this podcast now become about the mother woes and parenting woes and about our kids. So I know that you and I have our little chat at the beginning of our each episode, and that's great. And people mostly, mostly love it. You do know that the majority of the population have children, which is why it makes it relatable when you share a story. And and it's not just about children. It's that the majority have children. We also share stories of golf and I play a lot of board games. So somewhere in the mix, someone might think, oh, I have, I have a child. Oh, I work. I'm, I have a career. Oh, I play a bit of golf and oh, I could be interested in a bit more board games. And it's more about the stories that come from it as opposed to anything else. Sure. But I'm saying that because for you right now and for me very soon, parenting or being a mother is going to occupy so much of our brain and capacity and thought processes I just want to have a little bit of a filter because this is we didn't set this podcast up to then bemoan a lack of sleep or the issues with breastfeeding or whatever you know so we're gonna just to reassure our listeners even though this is the stage that Anna and I are at rest assured you will still you can still expect 
high quality business conversations on big mistake but speaking of uh intros exactly we will we will sprinkle our failures across all the uh, multitude of aspects of our lives so it's not just failures around parenting it is failures and mistakes we make around our careers business golf general life that we talk about correct. and also interesting things that we listen to correct and anna you have a story that you have been holding back from sharing with me for this very moment which does relate to parenting, okay. by the way, if you want to hear okay. it. Yeah, well, go on. Go on. It's, it's, okay. the, the, the couple okay, so of words I'm, hook. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint the scene. Yeah. I'm 39 weeks pregnant. And Rose, who is four, goes to bed in her bed in her bedroom. And then if she gets up through the night, she comes into our bedroom. Uh, it's midnight one o'clock whatever and she did come in at midnight that night so she came in at midnight like she always did does gets into bed falls straight asleep so as far as we were concerned when we closed our eyes rose was in our bedroom in the vicinity fast forward to 3 a.m we are woken up with flashlights in our eyes by Remember, I'm 39 weeks pregnant. Flashlights in our eyes of two policemen, police officers, I should say, because one was a woman. That's naughty of me. Police officers. Flashlights in our eyes saying, are you the parents (gasps) of Rose Parker? (laughs) And you're asleep. And is this a dream? I mean, you do wake up pretty fast with (laughs) two police officers standing in your bedroom asking if you're the parents. But the thing is, is that Rose rushes past them to say, oh, mummy and daddy. So as far as I'm concerned, I've got my husband next to me. I have my child in front of me. Whatever's happened is not that bad. Everyone's safe, in other words. Everyone's safe at 3 a.m., but here's now what happens. So the police say, right, uh, your child. In fact, why don't I tell the story as I now know it? Because obviously time Well, passed. tell it, tell it whatever's the... going to be most, most. I've got, I've got all the information okay. now. I've got all the information. Okay. You tell so it how you want I it. I know all it? the information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Rose had woken up in our bedroom, thought that we weren't there. Ah. She had believed that we were not in the bedroom. So where is she? When you said she came into your bedroom, I was assuming that she was in the bed with you. No, she has a a little single bed that she just sleeps on because uh, she's getting more like starfishy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So she has a little single bed. So So as far as we were concerned, she was there. And as far as she was concerned, both her parents were in that room. But she did not believe that her parents were there. So she went around the house looking for us. So she opened so she up went, the door. No, so she went to the oh. lounge looking for us, saw that we weren't in the lounge and then thought, I don't have a family. I've, I'm, I'm, left. I've, I'm left on my own. I'm going to go find a new family. <gasps> and we deadbolt the door. So we have a chain. No, not deadbolt. We chain the door. So it's locked door with a chain. And then we have a, a seat which we change our shoes on. And she pushed the seat to undo the chain. She put her trainers on, four years old, put her trainers, socks and trainers on in her pyjamas, undid the chain, 
went through the door, through the gate, then onto the road. Which I know Michael then, has put like an anti-rose contraption on that gate. So she, now, now, oh, now, now the place is like, now the place is like Fort Knox because of what's happened. But at the time, oh. it was your normal garden gate, which you can get through. So she had gone through the normal garden gate to go knocking on neighbors' doors <gasps> at 3 a.m., to try and find a new family. What, what was she saying? Do you do you know what she? No, no one answered the door to her. No one answered the door, oh. and then and then no one answered the door because it's three a.m. and the, all the houses around here are big. Um, <laughs> you say that like it's it's, it's a big problem. <laughs> it is. It is to a four-year-old. Uh, my house isn't, but everyone else's is, and. Uh, she had then gone on to a, a, a more main road in St. Helier's and it just happened to be that while she was on this quite busy road at 3am sh- crying and shouting help that three teenage boys aged 12, 14 and 16 oh happened to be walking past Rose and they took Rose and took them back to their family. Oh, wow. And why were those kids out at that night? They were on a sleepover and because they were teenage boys, they just decided to just go for a walk. And I talked to Michael about it and I was like, why would kids be out at that time in the night? And he said, I remember when I was on a sleepover, you just felt like just going for a walk. Anyway, good good kids were out, found Rose knew that they would be in a load of trouble because they were on a sleepover at their mate's yeah. house, knew that they would be in a load of trouble, but decided to take this to take Rose back to their family. Yeah. Um, so they walked Rose around around the corner to take them back to their family to then wake their family up at 3 a.m. for Rose to say, I'm looking for a new family. I don't have my Is family anymore. Is that what she anymore. said to the, their yeah, family? Yeah I'm, looking, yeah, I'm looking for my family. Oh. I don't have a new family anymore. I know, honestly. This makes me want to cry. Yeah, yeah. I've done about eight weeks of crying over this. And um, anyway, she then says, I'm Rose Parker. I'm four. I live at... Well, good girl. Because I taught her her name and where she lives. Because my dad is a police officer. Yeah. And I don't know, like, just being the cautious one, just any, anyway. So she tells them this. They call the police. The police come really quickly. She tells the police the same. And instead, and, and thank, thank, thank goodness the police just said, right, we will bring her home. And the, of course, from the police perspective, you don't know what you're going to find. No. How, are we, are we drunk, drugged, worse Um, what are the police going to find? So they're keeping Rose back a bit while they come through the house. So Rose had left the door open to our house for the police to walk all the way through, um, right through the house into our bedroom. (laughs) Fast forward to 3am where the torches are being shined on us. And then we discover all of, and we discover all of this afterwards. Anna, Anna. Oh my goodness. How have you? And then, and then, and then, so this, so this whole thing with the police being in our house was about 15 minutes. And then Rose and Michael went straight back to sleep. And I just stayed staring at that door 
thinking it's now 4am or whatever the time is, half three. I will not sleep until I have a thousand locks on that door Uh. and my garden gate is now locked. And so it's 7am when Bunnings opened. I was like, everyone's up. We are going to Bunnings and Mitre 10. We are getting full deadbolts, full locked deadbolts on the door. We are now changing our whole garden gate structure that she cannot get out of it. And... Honestly, ever since then, I have lived two realities. The reality I, I am, I'm in right now, which is my daughter's safe. Nothing happened. She was found by this amazing family who did exactly the right thing. And the police brought her back to us versus this other reality where all these terrible things happen. And I get the version where everything was okay. Yeah. And it is just wild. Yeah. Well, you know what? Fortunately, we, we live in New Zealand. So, I mean... <sighs> Yeah, that that was it was more likely statistically it was more likely that it was going to end positively. But still, as a parent, obviously it could have it could have still gone the other way. So, oh, yeah, and goodness. I went to see that family. Yeah. So I went to see the whole family. So we we took um, prezi cards to the boys. I mean, like, what do you do? Yeah. They're teenage boys. So we went to like go say thank you to yeah. them and take some prezi cards over and then meet the mums and the family just to say like, you know, thank you, thank you. And the parents of those teenage boys were saying is the the weirdest scenario because in other circumstances, all those teenage boys would be grounded or being punished. Yeah. And now they're heroes yeah. because because that right being thing. a hero they did the right thing yeah. overshadowed them being out at 3am in the morning wow. And... wow I can't help but think I'm so impressed you've kept this for, from, for so long from me because you were that dedicated to create fresh content so I could react <laughs> authentically Correct. as Correct. you tell it for the first time while we're Correct. recording Oh man, right. Anna, what a what a journey. So look, even though even though I said we will not make this a parenting podcast, that was a story worth hearing. Wowie, and certainly something you're not gonna forget in a hurry. And certainly something no. Rose is gonna hear about at every significant birthday for as long as she's alive as you tell yes. the story. Yeah, uh, terrifying. Wow, wow. On this episode of Big Mistake, we are interviewing Janine Granger, the CEO of Easy Crypto. And it, it was a treat to have Janine because I've I've got to know Janine a bit prior to uh, having her on the show. Uh, so for a bit of context, Janine and her brother, Alan, started Easy Crypto in 2017 to offer a secure, simple and most importantly, if well, not most importantly, but certainly importantly, when you're speaking to people like me who are lay people, easy to understand a way for everyone to get involved in the cryptocurrency market. And in after four years of post-launch, Easy Crypto has transacted over $2 billion and supports over 250,000 users across New Zealand, Australia and South Africa. And we speak about this on the episode. Janine also set a new record for a first funding round in New Zealand last year, raising a whopping 17 million New Zealand dollars. And in 2023, at some stage during this year, she was awarded the Inspiring Individual Award at the New Zealand High Tech Awards. So she is a woman full of wisdom, full of experience, and we explore some fantastic gems on this episode and Anna I must say it feels good to be back it does 
I love our interviews <laughs> and chats and, and all these all these amazing guests that say yes to us. And anyone who's listening, we still want recommendations or warm introductions to potential guests or people you would like to hear from because we get huge success from it and people uh, struggle to say no to us. <laughs> they do, they do. So on that note, uh, enjoy this episode of Big Mistake with the CEO of Easy Crypto, Janine Granger. Okay, Janine, it is fabulous to have you here on Big Mistake for a couple of reasons. One, it's been a while since Anna and I have even done a podcast. And two, yes. to have such a capable, qualified, uh, interesting, ambitious professional on the episode uh, with us. So as you know, the premise of Big Mistake is to explore or unpack a mistake that you have made along your business journey. But I thought before we get into that, for those that haven't yet had a chance to meet you or, or know much about Easy Crypto, why don't we start with you giving us a bit of a highlights reel of your career to date, starting at high school, because I know there's an interesting thing <laughs> there. Uh, and then that can bring us up to speed on where you're at now. So just a really, really high level introduction into the history of Ginny Granger. Sure thing. So yes, yeah, starting at high school is a great one because high school didn't agree with me that much. I actually dropped out after fifth form, which is, I guess I was 15 when I left high school. Um, and I went into working in a cafe and um, then sort of took a meandering path um, through a few different jobs, ended up going to uni as an adult student in quote marks um, at the grand old age of something like 20 something. Um, and then landed myself a job in the council, so I did public sector for a while. From there I moved into PwC and did management consulting, which was an amazing highlight for me for my career. I learned and stretched and grew so much in that role. Um, and from there I went into a strategy job at a big bank, which is where I happened to be working when I started Easy Crypto. So starting a crypto business as a side hustle when working at a bank is a, a somewhat interesting choice. Um, but yeah, the, the origin of Easy Crypto was myself and my brother started that at the very end of 2017. Uh, we saw a a big gap in the market for an easy way for people to access cryptocurrencies and it was a time when a lot of people were talking about blockchain bitcoin it's an area that i'd been in for a couple of years already and it just sort of fell into place for the two of us working together to make it easier for kiwis to get involved in the space awesome and i must say i have thoroughly enjoyed watching wtf is crypto with your amazing is it your first television debut yeah, I mean, I've done sort of like been on the news and done, you know, different, you know, sort of, uh, you know, current events segments, those kind of things. Um, Duncan Garner and um, TV3 News and bits and pieces. But the first time in something that is was yeah, really quite um, nerve wracking to record. We recorded it over a year ago. It's only just come out to TV. And so even just remembering what on earth I'd talked about and said and whether any of it was still relevant by the time it aired. But um, it was fabulous to see that come out. So if anyone isn't aware, it's on TVNZ On Demand and might be coming out on um, sort of live TV, live, I'm not sure, TV, on the TV at some point as well, a six-part series about the crypto industry in New Zealand, and the Easy Crypto story is sort of the feature of the second part of that docu-series. Mm. So and you get to see my mum, which yeah. everyone seems to, seems to be everyone's favourite part is my mum, so check it out. <laughs> Watching it back a year later, is there anything where you thought, ah, uh, that's changed, or I wouldn't have done it that way? 
One of the big things is probably the way I talked about wallets, um, because at that stage we weren't, when we were filming that, we hadn't, I hadn't yet sort of formulated the idea that ended up being the Easy Crypto Wallet, which we've actually just launched. So the sort of how we talk about hot wallets and cold wallets and seed phrases, like the space has moved on since then. And also what we've built and done ourselves has been, uh, you know, a big step forward in that. And it's probably, it's just sort of the, the language and the way I would talk about that has changed quite a lot over the last year. Okay, so and, for those and that, name, yeah, and I are very I was like, for the layman, and Miriam was saying, saying for those that don't know, I, I love how in sync we are. Then we were both on you on that. <laughs> what is a wallet, Janine? What Tell is us. a wallet? <laughs> sure. So with digital assets and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin are, you know, a type of digital asset. You need somewhere to store them to hold them, which gives you a, you know, your your safekeeping for those assets, but also a way to control them, to send them to other people, or to have people send things to you so it's kind of similar to a bank account except it works in the digital sphere and where a bank account is held by a bank and the bank has control over those assets with digital assets you have control of them yourself typically and so a wallet allows you to hold and control your own digital assets and so they're typically an application on your phone or they might be a little physical device like this thingy I've got here. There's a whole lot of different ways to do wallets and probably we don't want to dive into that. But in a nutshell, they're just a, a place to keep and manage your digital assets and often software. Awesome. And whilst we won't deep dive, I think that's the this aspect that people find quite terrifying about crypto, which is the idea that you're responsible for your wallets and your keys and that you hear all those horror stories so yes. what are the horror stories that you've had or what do you kind of say when people go well that's the thing that scares me the most is the idea yeah, that I'm, I'm responsible for it it's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's it's so amazing that you can have full ownership of your own assets and they're not in anyone else's control. So, you know, if you look at your bank balance, that's actually kind of not your money. It's an IOU from the bank. And we've seen in other countries, and the US had a few big bank failures this year. And, you know, in other countries where perhaps the government isn't so reliable, it is a real risk to people that they can't hold their funds themselves. So that's an amazing sort of element of control that you get to hold your assets yourself but there is also that risk that if you if no one else is looking after them you could possibly lose them so this was a really big thing that I wanted to do with the easy crypto wallet was make an unlosable wallet so those horror stories of people digging through landfills to try to find hardwares you know like computers they've thrown away that sort of thing I'm like that's not where we want the world to head we want you to be able to hold your own assets be in control of them but also not worry that you can lose them and so the recovery and backup methods that we've put on the wallet were a huge focus of that it's not what people typically think about like you don't think about how do I recover my wallet until it's too late but it's something we've put a huge amount of effort into um, really getting good options there so that it's uh, you know as unlosable as it possibly can be Miriam looked quite shocked at the idea of someone hunting through a landfill but I, <laughs> but I can assure you that I've I know mates who have lost something and they have actually done that so for example someone I know it's the equivalent of a million dollars that was lost and the lengths you would go to to recover a million dollars are quite extreme so yes hunting through a landfill for a million dollars is the yeah. least of your worries basically mm. We may, maybe we'll have to find the story for the show notes, but there was a guy in the UK who it was like tens of millions, maybe even hundreds of millions at some point that he threw out on a old, hard, old hardware drive. And I think he was trying to crowdfund to get people to chip in to go through the landfill and then he would have given them, you know, a share of these millions. But it, it was just so chaotic. Like, you just don't want to be in that position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the worst and thing that you've lost, Anna? Crypto aside, what's the worst thing that you've lost? 
Uh, yeah, so I worked in, when I was 18, I worked in Germany as a barmaid and it was mainly paid, mainly paid in cash. So we, I didn't have a German bank account. So it was mainly paid in cash and there was a safe where all the money was kept and I would just add my wages to it. And then I took the money out of the safe and that was money that was paying for my university the year after, well, a big chunk of it anyway, I was doing law and took the money out of the safe, went to go stay with this family. My mum had left earlier and also my mum's salary as well. It was, and then, yeah, it was, I presume stolen, lost, whatever, but uh, it was, that was a big, big, big deal. And it's something, when you lose something like that, uh, I I can't remember the value, um, thousands upon thousands. When you lose something like that, you think about it a lot. It's not something you just forget. It's, it's the consequences thereafter because, I was going into my third year of law and I really didn't want to because how I did how I did my law degree was I did my law degree during the day and I worked in the bar in the evenings so I kind of got by on like two hours sleep and for my third year I just didn't want that to be my world because that was the grade that was then the law firms and how the rest of it was going to play out so I just wanted to work really hard over the summer to make my third year of law a little bit easier and as it happened I didn't yeah so not only did I not have a load of fun with thousands of pounds or euros at the time that I had earned I didn't even get to put it towards my law degree because it was all gone. So pretty, pretty devastating. And yes, I was hunting through rubbish, thinking that it'd gone in a bag somewhere. But I think ultimately it was probably stolen, um, probably by the family that I was staying with. That's where I've come to. I didn't actually know. I didn't Gosh actually know. Them. I didn't actually know them that well. And yeah, that's where I've landed. Oh, that's so frustrating. Yeah, my my only thing has been. Uh, losing losing cash, leaving it in a in a restaurant, but certainly not to the extent of quantities that you're describing, Anna. Mm. Uh, Janine, I'm interested uh, to know this. This is a little quip I found from an article uh, a writer on you, and please correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, because you can't always read every uh, believe everything you you read in. On, yeah, let's online. find out if this was an AI generated article or not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you said that a highlight of uh, your career was being a part of a team that helped bring the Cricket World Cup to New Zealand. Have I got my right <laughs> yeah, so far? Yeah, that's right. I was working at um, Auckland Tourism Events and Economic Development, and I was working on a pitch to to bring Cricket World Cup to New Zealand. And I knew I know nothing about cricket. Like, I'm not the biggest sports fan, and cricket, like... But yeah, so I had to learn all sorts of interesting things, like how fast we could regrow cricket pitches to be able to replace them as they wore out through the tournament and all sorts of things like this. And I love that you said that you can become an overnight expert in anything if the subject is small enough. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted so you to expand on that. Does that relate to the cricket pitches? Yeah, it, it does. And it, this is something I learned from my cousin, who is one of the smartest people I know. And he said this to me when I was sort of quite young of, you know, he, he for a while was heading up um, WASH, Water, Sanitation and Hygiene for the United Nations. So a huge position. And I'm like, it's a lot to learn. But he's like, look, if you break something down into a small enough chunk, you can become an expert in it. Like there's a finite amount of things to know about something if you make it small enough. And so, you know, just get the small enough chunk and dive into it. And so, yeah, Cricket World Cup was one of those examples for me. But also a lot of the things that I learned at PwC. I mean, I'm an I'm a surprising expert on sheep as well from doing a project for New Zealand Merino about trying to, you know, get better genomes for sheep. So there's all sorts of really random things I know in that space. And yeah, you, you pick up these things along the way. They're not necessarily that useful. Comes up in pub quiz every now and then. But um... <laughs> go on, tell us a go, tell us a sheep fact. 
Uh, well, you can use the word sheeps correctly, um, which, yeah, you can have, you have one sheep, you have many sheep, but you have multiple types of sheeps. Huh. Okay, yep. So one for the sheep sense. and grammar nerds in the audience. Yeah. You know, I've actually got a sheep fact, uh, and it's not that there are, what's the one that New Zealand gets bandied around? Like there are more sheep than people, people in New yeah. Zealand. No, it's that, and I'm going to try and remember this. So back in the day, they used to eat, uh, what's the meat called when the, the, the sheep is older? Mutton. Mutton. See, so used sheep to, is my pub quiz round. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they used to eat a lot of mutton back in the day. And, but then with the introduction of, and the, the reason, one of the reasons for this was that they would be constantly wanting to, they'd want to extend the life of a sheep to continue using its wool, right? Mm. With the introduction of synthetic materials, sheep were no longer needed to be around for longer. So we stopped, so they were getting killed earlier and we stopped eating mutton because of, not because of our tastes necessarily changed, but because of the introduction of synthetic mm. materials and therefore we weren't necessarily needing as much wool as we used to. Fact of the day. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> anyway, Jenny, let's get on to this big mistake. Talk us through what comes to mind when we say big mistake. Paint us a picture. Where are you? Who are you with? What happened? I have to say, this was such a challenging question because I was like, I have made so many mistakes that like, would be here all day. And I think this is part of the life of an entrepreneur in a startup business, right? Is no matter how much you, you try to learn from other people and try to, you know, engage with other people who've done it before, been there, done that, everyone's journey is different and you make so many mistakes along the way. And there are, you know, there were so many dead ends we went down in the early years, so many things that... Um, yeah, so many bad choices in strategy and execution. And actually, this, this is probably a good way to frame it up is because when I think about, you know, running a business, you've got you've got your strategy, sort of like what you're trying to do, where you're trying to achieve, what you, how you're trying to win. You've got kind of your execution layers, your processes, your operations, your people, all that kind of stuff. And then you've got culture, which is sort of sometimes the un, the uncommented on part of that, but it's so important. Um, and Peter Drucker has this great quote of, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, which is so true. It's like you can have the best strategy in the world. You can have the best execution sort of like processes. But if your culture is terrible, you ain't going to deliver anything. Um, so this is a long winded way to get into there. But I was thinking about the mistakes I've made in all of those places and thinking that, you know, I've made a lot of strategy mistakes, like deciding to do this, that, you know, whatever we were doing, a lot of them haven't worked out. And those ones I think you really have to learn by doing. You can't necessarily predict that in advance. Um, execution, those mistakes are possibly the, the least um, impactful, I think, because, you know, you, you'll try something and you'll find that it fails and you can kind of fail fast in execution. It's sort of like that agile methodology is, is easiest in the execution layer. But when it comes to mistakes in culture, that I think is the most challenging. And so for me, the biggest mistakes that I've made have been hiring people who are bad cultural fits for the company. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sort of talk to any specific incidences, but I can sort of roll a few together in a kind of like names have been, you know, changed sort of thing. Um, but there's definitely, you know, hiring the wrong people is the biggest mistake that I've made. And I think particularly for small businesses, you know, in a big business, maybe that's not as important, but in a small business, it can be so critical to, to your company's success and to the well-being of your staff and to how you deliver and, you know, the impact on customers and on your vision and what you're trying to achieve. 
So paint us a picture because I appreciate you might have to omit details here, but you know, you've, you've obviously someone with good judgment. Presumably <laughs> you had good judgment when you were hiring these people. So what went wrong or what didn't you see? What didn't you notice? I've actually given up on the idea to think that I can make good decisions in hiring. So I, you know, I think one of the ways around that is just to put more layers into a hiring process. So, um, you know, for important positions, I, I would never be the sole decision maker. I'd always make sure that, you know, I've got lots of different people across the business weighing in. Um, one thing that I'll always do going forwards as well is go out for a meal with someone. Like if it's someone who's reporting to me, an executive, someone, you know, even a board member, right? Like someone who's got a position that is going to really impact on how I, you know, can deliver on, on what I'm trying to do with the business. Like I need to have a good working relationship with that person. And it's not just about their skills or their talents. It's about, do we get on? And we don't have to be like best mates, but you need to be able to sit down, have a, have a good open conversation with what someone. So that's one learning that I've taken forwards is that, you know, meet over a meal. Cause you know, an interview with questions of tell me about a time when this and that sort of thing, like there's only so much you get to know about someone, but when you actually just sit down and hang out with someone, you get such a better feel for who they are and how how you relate um and probably the 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 last thing that I've learned that you know in as much as I'm like I don't don't trust myself to be able to hire well um going forwards I'll always trust my gut because I think in the past I've had gut instincts but because I couldn't put a a logical answer or a logical reason on it I've ignored my gut and that's really not paid off for me on that point I think it's so important to think about the relationships you have with another person like you explained because when you have a really solid relationship with someone all the little things you just brush it off yeah and, you, exactly. and, and, when, and when you don't have a good relationship with someone all the little things become this huge deal mm, and, so and true I, right yeah. yeah and I think it's it's uh I'm trying to think of scenarios where someone's got annoyed with me or I've been annoyed at someone and just thought oh it doesn't matter because I have this amazing relationship with them and that one moment in time is not representative of our entire relationship or there's someone I don't like and it's been such a, a, a minor thing you know and I've just and it's just gone wild because you don't have that good relationship there at all yeah. And it's not about necessarily being, you know, the same sort of person. Like, you know, I've got a huge amount of diversity in, in my team and like diversity of thought and like people that I butt heads with all the time. But we can butt heads but still have a good conducive working yeah, relationship exactly. because we like and respect each other. And so it's not about, you know, necessarily being in agreement or always, you know, having, you know, people that are just, you know, copies of me because that's not going to work. <laughs> but it's around having, yeah, that, that mutual trust and respect, I think. <laughs> and do you think the reason for I think it's an interesting comment that the the more you have a relate a positive relationship with someone, the more perhaps forgiving you are of their uh, what's the word shortcomings foibles or yeah foibles quirks, quirks nuances quirks. shortcomings whatever think, they are yeah. do you think the reason for that is that someone that you don't know well if they do something that irritates or upsets or disrupts you in some way you think that is an indication of their character oh no mm. well no no just, as in like I, I, I view it as tolerance that i have unlimited tolerance it seems for people who are my people I'm yeah but you know you know what i mean so i'm saying that if if say okay let's say uh janine and i didn't know each other from a bar of soap and then we get introduced and someone's and you introduce Janine and I and you say hey uh you should touch and beat I set up a time for us to have a, a coffee Janine is 20 minutes late without a real explanation I think I'm more likely 
to think that that's indicative of Janine's character, how she operates, who she is, because I don't know anything else. Whereas mm-hmm. if I knew Janine and know that actually she is reliable, like most of the time, yeah. <laughs> all of the time, of course she is, yeah. Uh, yeah. then I know that this is just a blip in the, in the, in the way she operates. So that's, that's what I'm just trying to tease apart that why that is. Cause I think you're right that we're more forgiving with the people that we have relationships with. Although maybe we're not, maybe we're, maybe it's the, maybe someone would feel the opposite. I don't know, Janine, what's your take? Would you, mm. where, where, what side of the coin are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, this is just brought to me, this is a bit of a random and, um, example, but I did a, a silent 10 day meditation course this one time. Um, it was horrific, as you can imagine. Um, but during that course, like, because we're all supposed to be just focused and meditating, we weren't allowed to make eye contact with other people or to like have oh. emotions or smile or anything. You're all just kind of supposed to be in your own little bubble and kind of, you know, just not paying attention to the people around you. And at the end of the course, I remember like on the last day, we could all finally, you know, talk and sort of share about our experiences. And I remember up to that point, I just kind of had this like underlying thinking of these people are all just like, they all just seem like not people I'd get on with. Like they're just like, and and part of it was because like, you know, we weren't smiling, but it was like, I had these people around, but not being able to form that relationship with them. And then once we cracked out of the silence and we could all talk, it was like, oh, these are awesome people. We've got so much in common. And I think it's like, it's that building of rapport, right? That lets you, you know, look past yeah it's like you know someone was coughing and one of the things and I'm like what is that person rah, rah. but if, if I've got to ha- you know been able to have a chat with them and realize that hey they're just you know recovered from an illness or whatever you know it's like you're just so much more you have a lot more grace for people when you can connect with them as humans and the more you build a rapport the more you have that connection yeah. so what's the learning here that when we do encounter <laughs> someone or if we're on a silent retreat and someone coughs and it irks us do we we have to intentionally take the attitude of well, I don't know what their situation is, so I can't be quick to judge or discredit them or put them in this box of, oh, they're the type of person to do X. Oh, but that's how we're dealing with strangers. And I think you should always try to give strangers a little bit of grace. I was more talking about the people that you have got to know, but you just don't have a relationship with. There are so many people in our lives that we've spent time with, but you just haven't created this relationship, which would allow Mm. that forgiveness. So there's a couple of scenarios, which is, I don't know you. I'm always going to give you grace because you're just a stranger to me. I don't know what's going on in your world versus I do know what's going on in your world. You aren't a stranger to me. And you do annoy me. To clarify, Anna will give you 15 minutes of grace. And then if she's decided she's you're not worth the time, she will be. Actually, speaking of which, we're past the 20 minute mark now, Janine. So you're in this, the clear zone. She's, she's approved of you. She's your it. But Anna has been Or did you just tell leave. her she has to stay on the podcast for the full hour? <laughs> Very good. This podcast so the- is genuinely one of my favourite things I do because you actually have to have a conversation with people. And by the way, before our guests has come on the podcast, we've already looked through their world. We've vetted them enough. If Miriam's saying they're awesome or I think they're awesome, then it's normally it's normally gone far enough that we know we're going to have an amazing conversation with someone. So to date, we have not had anyone on as a podcast guest that has not been nothing short of spectacular. So we've been very yeah. lucky. Janine, going back to that big mistake, can you talk us through the consequence of bad that bad, bad hiring has had? Like when you say, what what in your mind is a bad hire? Is there an anecdote you can give us without naming names or at least talk us through the ramifications of mm. said hire? 
Yeah, I think one, I, I heard this really interesting story one time out of Canva, and I think most people will be aware of Canva. They're like a billion dollar business started by Australian um, Melanie Perkins and, and uh, her partner. And I remember reading the story about how they had gone for like years without a CTO just because they hadn't found the right person. And I'm like, that seems like such a bizarre thing to do to be going, you know, like this is a really critical role, but they're like, it's so critical. We will not hire the right person into it. And they were adamant about that. And they, and they had their, you know, they had advisors that were sort of really, you know, pushing them on this of like, no, that person's not good enough. That person's not good enough. And I sort of looked at that and was like, you know, you're going, you can't progress as a business. You need these key people to do these key things. But I think that the, the other side of that is that if you put the wrong person in a role, you might say, you know, bring forward the time of having had that person, but say it takes you a year to find out it's the wrong person. In that year, that person might have taken you backwards two years. So you've wasted a year to go back two years. It's actually three years worth of lost time, lost impact, not to mention all of the cost money, the cultural destruction to the business. Like, you know, in hindsight, Having gone through, you know, some bad hires myself, I look at what Canva did and I was like, I actually think they had that right. And it seems so counterintuitive and such a, a balls to the wall way to just like, you know, such an absolutist thing to do to be like, no, we're not going to hire anyone unless they're the right person. But when you sort of do the math on what the wrong hire can do, it, it does actually make sense. And what I'm not sure if you're just skirt avoiding the question, Janine, so I'm going to keep reframing it if you want to say we're going to move on then we just move on but what did what did you know speaking of what yeah what was the fallout what was the what was the what was the consequence yeah yeah Yeah, or just effect that it had on yeah yeah i think i mean the you've got sort of lost time from like you've done the wrong thing with the wrong person you've got lost money so you know and that can really add up depending how much you know a particular area you're you're sinking in but you know as I started off with the cultural impact is the biggest one because everyone that you bring into a company impacts the culture positively negatively and if you bring in people who impact the culture negatively that that spreads right like they might also be hiring other people that have you know aren't aren't contributing or you sort of start to get schisms or rifts in in your company of people who like culture a and people who like culture b like you really want everyone to be um you know in sync on that and have you know the the culture of a company is one of its biggest assets and and i'm really proud with easy crypto we've got really great culture now like i we do staff surveys every two months and i just had one go out yesterday and you know, I always have like in the high 90s of staff saying that they love working at the company and that they enjoy the work that they do. And that to me is like, I'm doing it right. If my if my team love turning up for work and they, they're proud for working with us, they enjoy what they do. Like I'm making a good impact on, you know, at least the lives of 50 people that are working for me. Um, but it's not, you know, it's been challenging in the past when we've had people who wanted to drive a different culture and it's like there's not necessarily saying culture a is right culture b is wrong but it's like this is the culture that we have and if you're on board with that culture it's going to work because we're all doing the same thing but if it splits and there's two different cultures within a company that can create a lot of tension a lot of division a lot of um yeah unhappiness for people and mm. yeah does that am i answering it good yeah, enough yeah. For you, yeah somewhat somewhat, somewhat. <laughs> it's hard because I, I don't want to dive into too many specifics and maybe i should have thought of a more specific example to come on but no, no, i'm no, like this is fine this is fine because i know it, i think the culture piece is is interesting and i know that it is something that you're you're very yeah, proud of yeah. and i'd love to speak to that more in a moment but i'm just thinking of what you've just said before about 
like where is the balance then and I, I agree with you with what you're saying you can't have someone else coming in and basically starting their own subculture within the organization mm. but where do you draw the line with if uh, that person were to come in and say hey I want to challenge the way we are doing things here what's the what's the process then if that would if someone were to come into easy crypto with a different idea about how things could be operated presumably there's a a course that they could a course of action they could mm. go through a process or how do, how would you manage something like that yeah and i think there's probably like two different ways right like there's a subversive sort of like undermining the culture or going you know around it trying to do things differently or there's taking it head on and being like hey guys have we rethought of this can we look at that can we challenge this and i think that's really positive right because you're doing it out in the open everyone gets to weigh in and we do this like heaps as a company actually someone will be like hey I don't think we should be doing it this way and then other people will be like oh no nah, but this is the you know I like it for this reasons and it gives everyone a chance to to co-create that culture because culture is not fixed right it's not static it's not just me and my ideas it's the whole team together but if we're having those discussions out in the open then it's great because we just you know we build it together and it shapes and looks like all of us but it's if those changes to culture are kind of happening through backdoor mechanisms or you know that more subversive way that's when I think it becomes problematic and I, I was reading my background uh, research about you this is something you wrote in an article or said in an interview you said <laughs> I've worked for many companies before from big corporations to government agencies and I know what it's like to hate going to work and having mm. that soul-destroying feeling of having a job you don't enjoy and a workplace you don't want to turn up to. Yep. <laughs> this has been such a big shaper for me as a leader is that, you know, like, cause I started, I didn't start Easy Crypto to start a company that would end up hiring all of these people, you know, my brother started it to solve this problem and I jumped on board to help my brother and then we built this thing together and then it was probably, you know, maybe a year in that we started hiring a few people. It was just a few, but then it spiraled and things grow and then all of a sudden before I knew it, I had like 20 staff and then it became 50 and then that that thing of, you know, as an employer, I have such a big impact on the the lives of the people that are working for me because if mm -hmm. you're working eight hours a day, you know, 40, day, 40 hours mm -hmm. a week, many of us are, you're how much you enjoy your job has a huge impact on how good your quality of life is and having been like you said Anna in that quote in that position of hating going to work I know how much that impacted my overall life and it was it was soul destroying and I did not want to be a destroyer of souls by becoming an employer so I was like how do I make sure that as a company you know I'm, I'm not hiring I'm not creating a workplace where people hate turn up to work because that's that's you know, I just, that's just not what I want. So it's been a really big focus of mine. And I think it's something that's actually probably really helped me over the last sort of year or two with the crypto winter as well, because it's been a challenging time to be delivering on our big strategic, you know, goals of, um, you know, all of the stuff that we're doing for our investors. But while the crypto market's not necessarily in, in the biggest, you know, euphoric period you know or it hasn't been for most of this year it's like I can still be doing really good things for the people who who matter most in the company which is my staff who are then doing great things for my customers and then over time and as markets bounce back I know that that will then translate into value for shareholders so it's playing a long game but also starting with the the staff has been the most important part in that in that pyramid Mm, that's awesome and what do you what do you attribute I mean those are amazing figures statistics to get back from these surveys that you you run and I know that they're consistently high what do you attribute the strength of those results to 
and, and, and tactics like let's talk let's talk mm. practical what do you do and, and what is something someone listening to this can take away and think okay I could incorporate that yeah well I think I mean the surveys is a really important part of it because for me that is my bellwether of you know whether I'm on track or not and so I think you know there's two things to that I guess one is that I genuinely care like I want this to be a good workplace and because I care I survey my staff and I act on what comes through on that survey so we've got you know a couple of questions it's a really short survey it's like six questions and then some open-ended you know anything else and my team know that because I will always play back to them the results so they know that I'm listening and I'll also tell them you know this is what I heard from you and this is what we're doing in response to that um so you know again back in my corporate days you do these engagement surveys because the company had to tick a box to do an engagement survey and whatever feedback you gave just gave into a black hole and it was just like well there's really no point um so to to really close that loop and to not only collect the feedback but to pay attention to it to take it on board to make changes where changes need to be made um or even just to play back why we're not change, making changes. And I was actually talking to some of my staff about this yesterday, is that one of the things that amuses me the most with the surveys is it, I feel like we're walking on this tightrope and um, I will always have opposing views in the survey, like things like some people are like, we're doing too much, we need to slow down, we, we got, need to stop trying to do everything. And then other people would be like, we're not moving fast enough, we've got uh, to do more. Uh, and so I'm like, I kind of take the view that if I'm getting both of those bits of feedback, we're probably running that balance about right. Um, but I do let my team know. I'm like, you know, we've had people say this, but then we've also had people say the opposite. So that's kind of, you know, what I'm needing to take on board and navigate through. It's not that I'm ignoring your feedback. It's that I'm trying to get the balance right for everyone's feedback. Nice. So those 10%, you said it was 90% positive and 10% neutral or not. Oh, that- high 90s. So we, we usually run around... We usually run around 97% of people say that they enjoy working at the company and are proud to come to work. And then there's usually around 3% neutral. And I kind of take the view that the 3% are maybe the people who have just started and are like, well, we don't know yet. That's my hypothesis anyway. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. And okay, on to the next subject. What is it like working with your brother? And your brother says, I need help. And you think (laughs) to yourself, okay, I'll help you. How did all that come about? It was, uh, my, my brother is, um, he's quite a genius. So it's like, it's quite fun. And particularly in the early years when it was just the two of us, it was super fun having a very high output, very smart co-founder. Cause like shit just happened. It was so good. Nice. We, we lived in different time zones and I'd, I'd get up in the morning before work. I'd put a bunch of requests on our Trello board, which is Trello's little, um, project yeah. management software. And then I'd come home from work in the afternoon or, you know, wake up the next morning and everything had been done. I was just like, this is amazing. Um, but it's, it worked really well for us, particularly in those early years, because we had very complementary skill sets and everything that he was fantastic at, you know, was stuff that I didn't want to do. And conversely, the things that I could do and like, you know, the different various threads that I would pulled from my career to date were things that he just didn't want to have a bar of and wouldn't have had any aptitude for. So we had a very complementary skill set, which was nice. Um, it's changed a lot over the years since then, like, you know, even the choice of me being CEO was something that we sort of discussed for a while of, you know, as the company grows, who's the figurehead. And it just sort of, it felt natural for that to be my role. And now as things have progressed, I'm like, it was the right choice. He's, you know, he wouldn't want to be doing this interview. He's not a, like an out there in the media and in the public eye sort of person. He just wants to solve problems. Um, Whereas I'm much more about the strategy and the big picture and leadership and 
doing podcasts so do you think do you think you have wor- worst arguments and discussions because it's your brother or do you think you resolve things quicker um I think we resolve things quicker because we can just cut to the chase. But that's also something that we had to moderate ourselves a lot. Like when we started getting staff on board, we got some feedback that the way the two of us talk, because we're very direct, very to the point, we'll argue. And it was like, it made people a bit uncomfortable. So Ah, we learned quite quickly that we had to moderate what was normal for us as siblings Mm. and as, you know, just two people running a business together didn't work so well when you had a team and you had to be a bit more, um, you know, polite in front of other people. Um, and, and that was a good learning. And in fact, you know, one of the things that I've learned, because our company is all remote, and I've really learned a lot around moderating how I do written communications, because our company lives on Slack. And it's like, you know, if you just bash something out really quickly, whatever you're thinking, the way, you know, it's in your head, to that you have to sort of look at it from the perspective of the person reading it and whether it could come across as too, you know, curt, too, like, you know, aggressive, those kind of things, because you just need a you know, be a bit softer in, in those instant written communications than perhaps, um, yeah, for me anyway, I, I've learned to be softer than was natural because think, you know, I, I didn't want people to feel that I was being like, grr, when actually I was just like, Ugh. I'm exactly the same, Janine. And funny, I find myself having to, uh, when I, when I send a message to someone, if I'm replying to an email, I'll do the direct thing first. And then I'll go back and apply the fluff. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, so how was, <laughs> how your, was your weekend? Week? <laughs> yeah, or like, um, no worries, don't, you know. Or, uh, or I heard somewhere but, recently. But you know that not yeah. everyone wants a fluff? Because if I get fluff, I'm really also annoyed. I'm like, why Why is someone padded <laughs> out communication with all of this? Whereas it should be directed to the point. I just want the snippet. But you're another direct person. And I think there's greater risk of coming across to Janine's point is curt than there is it mm. is uh, like too too fluffy I think the consequence yeah. of either it's worse on the coming across as too <laughs> yeah. direct and it can see through the fluff but uh, someone who feels that you're being rude maybe you know can't see past it as much you know exactly. what we need Anna is we need an AI layer in between oh that Miriam God, you can send worry. a curt message and AI it's will translate so it into dude. a nice fluffy soft one but then if it lands in Anna's inbox her AI can be like nah man let's just strip it back to the important stuff yeah yeah. And yeah, another reason and another reason why I want to avoid emails as much as possible because <laughs> there's no guessing what I'm saying if you're talking to me on the phone or in person. But anything exactly. written, you are putting your own thoughts into that writing. It's a terrible way to communicate in my opinion. Ah, uh, uh, but see I'm <laughs> someone who hates phone calls. I'm like, please don't call me, just like send me a text, send me a message, whatever. Oh right. Oh. I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, get on the phone, talk to me. It's even better if I can see your face. Now I'm really concerned that I called you this afternoon, Janine. <laughs> what I didn't see was her picking up the phone going, oh, gosh, okay. Hi, Miriam. <laughs> well, I was actually on a meeting with my team, but I was like, I knew that we were on a deadline. Yeah, so yeah, I was like, yeah. I need to take your call, but then I'm also in a meeting. Whereas if you'd texted me, I'd just be like texting in the meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to my team, and they know I do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so as you know, we're on, on this podcast, we're a fan of talking about failures, yes. but I think it does need to be mentioned that among your manifold successes, easy crypto managed to raise a whopping record breaking <laughs> 17 million 
in the Series A funding round. And I'm just interested to, if you could talk us through that process. And I'm, I'm assuming it, it exceeded your expectations. Yeah, it was uh, that was like a really quite traumatic period. Like I think most people who have done fundraising will say it's really hard and they hate doing it and they wish they never had to. Um, for us, it was it was an interesting one, actually, because I started that fundraise at the end of 2020. And at that time, I wasn't trying to raise funds. I was actually trying to sell the business because... Ellen and I had built this thing. It had become really successful in New Zealand. Um, we'd proven that we had good product market fit. We'd started expanding into other countries. And we're like, we are probably not the right people to make, you know, we've got a great product. We've got a great potential in this business. Someone else will have the skills to take this forward and help it realize its potential. And so we went out trying to sell the business. And through that process, um, one, firstly, it was very hard to sell a crypto business. Like it still kind of is. Um, crypto is not everyone's um, favorite thing. Like traditionally, we thought, you know, maybe a Western Union or a bank or someone will want to buy this. But no, like the only businesses that buy crypto businesses are crypto businesses. <laughs> but the second thing that was sort of happened during that process is I, I was working with some advisors and I was getting feedback from them as we went and then also from the people I was pitching to. And I got I got all this feedback and external kind of like commentary back on myself and on the business and what we we're doing. And it made me realize that the best person to run my business was actually me. And it gave me like, you know, I guess imposter syndrome and all of the, you know, like difficulty backing ourselves. Like it's so innate for so many of us. And I would, I'd been in this role for a couple of years that I didn't have anyone to tell me whether I was doing a good job or not. And it was just this amazing, yeah, external validation of actually I'm doing a really good job. I'm getting so much great feedback from people about what we've done, how much we've achieved, how we've built the business. And maybe I could actually just keep going because I'm not doing so badly. So it was really, um, really interesting validation. And that kind of turned us from uh, the strategy of trying to sell to a strategy of raising, which still took the best part of a year. And it was so frustrating. And I think anyone who's raised, particularly in New Zealand, will resonate with this, that everyone wants to follow and no one wants to lead. And what this means is that everyone goes, oh, yeah, we'll happily chip in, you know, $100,000, half a million, million, two million. Um, who's leading your round? Mm. And you're like, and, and there's this kind of, um, in investor circles, this, this thing about who is leading the round, like who's going to put their name down first. And so many other people will sheep into it, but they don't want to be the first name. And part of that is that the first name's supposed to kind of do the due diligence. I don't know how, like, but again, if you're an investor, would you really want to rely on someone else's due diligence or would you want to do your own? I don't know. It's just a challenging and really particularly weird thing that's very strong in the New Zealand ecosystem. And I've talked to so many other founders who have had that issue of so many followers, but no one wants to lead. So... But yeah, so when we did eventually find someone who would lead, um, from that point we went from, it had been a year that we'd been raising and we went from nothing to being oversubscribed as in we'd aimed for 10 and we got all the way to 17 within three weeks after a year of trying. Wow. Yes, Miriam's face says it all. That was my 2021. <laughs> it was it was horrendous. <laughs> and that was also that while the crypto markets were just booming and we were hiring and everything <laughs> was going nuts. It was It was all on. What does that show? Don't give up. Yeah, yeah, true. And well, you, yeah, you I hear, don't know you about can hear that. A, you can hear a thousand no's, but there might be yes. And in yeah. fact, it doesn't. It doesn't quite relate to the raising funds, but uh, on our kindy, our nature kindy said no to Rose <laughs> going endless amounts of time um, to 
when when nature kindy cancels sorry we have another kindy to go to but she doesn't buy a day they always say no when i want to add rose in for an extra day always and this morning i messaged them again and said oh can rose come in today and they replied back yes and my husband was like they've said no to you so many times what made you think to message them and i said because i'm always okay with a no because sometimes you get a yes and it's been years of no's and, and today they're like yeah great we'll see her at nine but i so i agree i agree with this the general sentiment and certainly within the context of what we both of what you're both describing but I think there is a fine line between, you know, sometimes, Janine, you were talking about that validation and feedback from the market. Mm. You could have equally said, well, not getting the funding during that first year was valid or a lack of validation and feedback from the market. So I think it's a fine line between, uh, I didn't, well, just deciding what are you going to put your energy into I think this idea of never giving up has almost become toxic because mm. surely there is there are things that are worth our energy and time and resources and there are things that are not. And if we are continuing to pursue the things that are not, then life's going to pass by and we're going to be we're never going to make progress. But if you no, were yeah. to take that feedback and maybe change tack slightly and reorientate yourself suddenly you might have a huge amount of success so i'm just saying i'm i'm not completely on board anna with the never give up i think there is a time and place to give up and to reassess because and, in and, doing so you might actually be better off well it's a really interesting one in this case because ellen and i have had many chats of would we, you know like we can see the path that the business could have gone down if we didn't raise and mm-hmm. you know it actually could have probably would have been more profitable for him and I personally to keep the business New Zealand focused keep it small just you know not hire big not try to expand not sort of grow into this bigger thing but actually just have a smaller thing that he and I you know owned fully ourselves less responsibility less stress more profit probably um of course we didn't know that at the time but yeah, th- th- there is, you know, we can see that the route that what, how it would have played out if we hadn't raised would have also been a, a good outcome and, you know, better in some respects, worse in others. But yeah, not necessarily. That wasn't the only way forward. I think that what made it, you, you, the clue was in what you said earlier, which was that we had had a successful, you know, few years and there was, we had got, you know, grown grown the business it was doing well and so that to me is the indication that that was worth pursuing the capital raise and that perhaps it was just a matter of time or if you knew that the one piece of the puzzle you were relying on was this lead this lead investor and that from there things would flow then if you got that then it would obviously Mm -hmm. been seen as worthwhile which it was but if you had got that and those other investors didn't follow then maybe that's the where the changing tack approach yeah. could have could have come in. Anyway, I, it's, and I it's guess it. looking back at it as well, like one thing that I probably am discounting when I tell the story that way is that prior to the capital raise, we were kind of living not hand to mouth, but month to month. It's like because we couldn't predict what our future revenues would be because we're in a very volatile industry. So the capital raise gave us money in the bank that we could plan and form strategy around Mm. and have you know hire staff have you know commit to to long-term resourcing which prior to that you know it was a bit unknown like next month could be double this month's revenues or it could be half and so there was definitely advantages to having that kind of level of certainty and and being able to plan 
talk to us about scammers because I know <laughs> this is a topic you and I have spoken about and it's something you encounter regularly at Easy Crypto. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in for the horror stories here, Janine. Uh, what do you think these guys are trying to achieve and in what form? How do you, in what context do they crop up? Where, where do they cross your desk? And when you say scammers, you're also talking about hackers, phishing, or all of that, or yeah. are you? Yeah, yes, great. I am. Yeah, I mean, th- there's like all those different buckets, right? And the the one, um, the one that we see the most, and the one that I would just love to, you know, for us as New Zealand to do such a better job in terms of education and awareness on, is is the scammers who they, you know, hackers are trying to crack into the code and try to find vulnerabilities. Fishers are, you know, trying to trick you into doing something. But the scammers are this kind of special breed that they create a relationship, build your trust, build your confidence to just milk you dry of all of your money. And it's not anything about crypto. Crypto is just, you know, one of, you know, any avenues that they'll use. But it, it starts with, you know, something really innocuous. Like one one customer that... um you know, we helped save her from a scam and I found out how it started. She was playing words with friends. Do you guys remember that? Mm. That online scrabble? Mm. Yeah, people still play it, turns out. Yeah. She was playing words with friends and, you know, you match randomly against people anywhere in the world and she matched with this nice American guy from the military who was, you know, stationed in wherever doing this thing. Um, and, and she was married, so it wasn't a romance scam or anything, but he just built this relationship with her and, like, got her trust and she felt that he was a friend and then over time it just spiralled and he was asking for money for this or that or whatever and it's like so it can start anywhere um you know they'll often start with a a cold call with you know and this is something that i wish more people knew is that if someone rings you with an investment opportunity that Mm. is absolutely illegal so will always be a scam but you know anyone who's got a landline still is at risk people will call and be like you know we've got this great investment opportunity make you all this money 10 percent returns whatever um and it's a combination of um, yeah, that, that trust and that relationship building, which makes it really challenging for like me and my team when we come across someone who's, you know, we think is caught in a scam and it might be an investment scam, it might be a romance scam, it might just be the friendship. Um, the scammers possibly have built a relationship with this person over months or even years. And so the person has a huge amount of confidence and, and faith in the, you know, like we were talking at the, at the beginning of this, it's like, if you know someone, you're willing to overlook so many things. And then yes. we come into this cold and we see all these red flags, but the person is overlooking so yeah. many red flags because yeah. they feel like they know this person, they trust them, they've got that relationship. So it's that human nature of ours to cut slack to someone that you like and you you, you know well and it, it and the scammers play on that and they play so many psychological tricks to you know just use our human nature against us and it's it's really devastating to see um it, yeah and and i guess the other thing that probably i'd point out is that no one is immune and that's probably one of the biggest thing you know messages i'd love to get out there is that anyone can be caught by this stuff right like it's not that you're too smart to get caught in a scam because scammers are very very good at what they do they're very good at psychological manipulation and even like you know the fishing and that kind of stuff it's so sophisticated so you just always have to be on your guard sadly so what happened with this with this poor woman uh, that one was such a weird situation. She said she was buying, she was wanting to buy Bitcoin to buy computer parts to, no, no, wait, that was a different one. This one, he was, um, so he'd gone to China apparently. And like, oh, when I talk about the thing that this guy's doing, this guy's like just stationed somewhere in, in Nigeria or India. Like he's, you know, the, the American military guy is a complete fabrication. Yeah. does not <laughs> exist. Yeah. But this guy yeah. in the American military who doesn't exist, he'd gone to China and, um, he got stuck. His Someone had stolen all of his tools that he needed and he urgently needed replacements. So she was trying to send him this money to buy tools. And then um, 
he was trying to leave China and they had confiscated his passport or something and then he needed money urgently to bribe the son. So, and so there's always the sense of urgency or often the sense mm. of urgency, the sense of drama, this, you know, you're the only person I, I, you know, I need you to help me. Um, we managed to convince this woman that this was a scam and she cut contact with him. And then, and this was the bit that just really got me. So she, she cut contact with the scammer, stopped pay, sending him money. And then a couple of months, oh, and he said some absolutely horrible things to her. And they often do this when the money runs out, they just, I don't know why, but they just decide that they're going to like really just sock it to you emotionally. And he just told her that she was a just gullible, um, hopeless old woman and was just said some really, really horrible things Aww. to her about how it had all been a scam and she was, you know, so stupid for having fallen for it and he was running off with all their money and just really nasty. But then, three months later, he pops back up again and says, oh no, I never sent those messages. Someone stole my phone and sent those messages. Um, I'm back in America now, but because you laid a police complaint against me um i'm now having to go to prison in america and i need money from you to blah 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 and i was just like how can this guy come back from emotionally abusing this woman stealing her money and then going back for another round of trying to yeah it was it was insane and, and it presumably all started with she friends. presumably she 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 didn't fall up for it the second time round, right we hope as far as I know, she didn't, but we, we really yeah. had to coach her through that because she was thinking, like, she was feeling so guilty. She's like, this poor guy, and again, Aww. it goes back to that relationship building, right? She built this relationship with him over years, and then she's like, oh my God, he's going to prison in America. It's all my fault. I caused this. This is, and, and so you know, I had to So she still believes be- him. She still believes him. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so powerful, and, and the romance scams are even worse because you've got someone who's like, not only have they got that relationship, but they're really in love with this person that doesn't actually exist and uh, you know the devastation of that of not only the financial loss but the emotional loss of finding out that's a scam it's just horrible oh, oh man I, i've reminded of various dr phil <laughs> i don't watch daytime television just to clarify but the algorithm on my phone picked up that i was particularly enjoying various dr phil uh short form videos and i always remember this one because there was this woman who had fallen prey to one of these scams and similarly was convinced that this this very handsome silver fox looking american well-built athletic guy who was talking to her on some chat application it's the thing they're um, never ugly people are they no they're not yeah why do they choose just plain looking people or ugly people but um that that, she, that this was the love of her life and they were communicating and he would he would send her photos of of him you know fishing or whatever doing some kind of activity or in the military whatever it was and the the daughter of this woman had become so upset that the mother had been so uh, it was so deluded or so uh persuaded by the scam that they ended up coming on to Dr. Phil and amazingly, what they end up doing, and this conversation was going on on the television. The you know, the mother was saying, "No, this is really this guy." She was still holding, sticking to her guns. And what they did was they found the guy, the real person that this scammer was impersonating. <gasps> so his photos had been stolen, his and they tracked down stolen. the real. They tracked him wow. down, and they wow. brought him onto the show. <gasps> and oh my god, that they, sounds so traumatic. I know, so traumatic, and so she's suddenly shocked because she'd always had excuses for why he didn't want to go on FaceTime. Mm. So of course she'd never seen him actually talk or hear him talk or anything like that. So, so here he suddenly was in front of her 
and here to say I'm not the man you think I am that's not me send- that's me in those photos but that's not me sending those those messages I mean it's so it's so one it's slightly humiliating f- for her and but it makes for great daytime television it makes daytime <laughs> It does. It does. Oh my gosh. Okay. But I love those. I love those warnings, Janine. So, so what was it? Let's go back over those, those warnings. So one, you're not allowed to be pitched to about an investment opportunity over the phone. Yeah. That was the first one. What's, what's any more that you can give um, us? Probably number two is don't, don't think you're too smart to not, f- that's to, right. To be safe from scams. Like it can happen to any of us. Um, so yeah, and so be vigilant. And I guess the the main thing is like, if you're not sure, just ask someone else, like, you know, things that seem convincing or, you know, seem normal when you play it back to someone else, suddenly you might be like, oh, actually. So it's like, I think, you know, we can help keep each other safe from scams. It's like, if there's any red flags, if there's anything slightly niggling at the back of your mind about something, just tell a friend, tell a family member, come tell my help desk. They, they love, you know, having people not get caught in scams. So we're always happy to help on this kind of stuff, but um, yeah, talk to others about it and just, yeah, be vigilant and yeah, keep, keep, keep just scams. <laughs> oh, bless. Well, look, I'm aware of the time because I know that uh, Anna's toddler is about to waltz into the house any moment now. Uh, so Anna, before I hand over to you to ask our last question of Janine, which is our, usual last question yes uh wow that made it sound like i had another question it did planned (laughs) i'm sure i did well well, i actually have one so i'll jump in yeah you do it and i'll I'll ask the last question i'm gonna go back to the beginning because i was interested when you said that you no longer participated in school from 15 you did use the word dropout which i was trying to avoid because i wasn't a big fan of the word drop out from school and um anyway what what was it about school that wasn't right for you I have to say I mean I know I didn't I really had there was one particular teacher I didn't enjoy in one class that I really struggled with um but I think it was like almost just a bit opportunistic I remember my my parents you know I said to them one day can I leave school and they're like not unless you have a job and I was like challenge accepted so I went and got a job the next day um and came home and my mum was just like all oh, that backfired um so yeah I mean like 15 year old me I'm a little bit not completely sure what was running through my mind but um I was also surprised that my parents let me drop out of school but you know as they like to say they're like we knew you'd turn out fine um but, and, and that's the thing is like, there's, there's no one right path to do life, to do any of no. these things. Right. No, and there's been great not. advantages to me of dropping out of school early. And I'm sure yeah. there's been disadvantages, but you know, it, it'll weighs out on the balance. Yeah. I completely yeah. agree. I think, I mean, even university, I still think there's so much pressure on kids to go to uni and I'm just like, hold up, just take a year out, do something yeah. different, go travel work in a startup, do anything, almost do anything, but start uni straight away is, is generally my opinion. Unless of course, you know, absolutely for sure you want to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. Uh, but anyway, Janine, that brings us to the last question, which is what is the worst piece of advice you have been given? The worst piece of advice I was given was probably quite quickly after our series A, when we'd raised all this money and one of my advisors was like, you've got to spend as fast as you can, grow as fast as you can. Investors are wanting to see like 
big things and it was so the antithesis of how we'd been running up till then we'd been living you know like i was saying not quite hand to mouth but really cautiously of like this is what we can for this is what we can do all of a sudden we had all this money in the bank and the advice i was given was to spend it as quickly as we could because that's what startups should do when they get a big pot of money and that was terrible advice so if there are any founders out there listening like if advisors tell you that tell them to just like rein it in you know your investors invest in a business because they see the traction they see how you're running it and you should stick to you know you can you know change and expand obviously but you don't need to change fundamentally who you are and how you're running a business just because you've raised like you've got a recipe that has worked and um yeah this idea that you need to splash a lot of cash around because you've just fundraised i see it in quite a few other startups as well and it's like Mm. just you know slow and steady or maybe a little bit faster but still steady and yeah Excellent, excellent advice. I love that. Yeah. That's a re- really practical takeaway for anyone listening who might be in a in a similar position or will be in a similar position in future. Janine Granger, thank you so much for coming on. Big mistakes, some real gems in there from from sheep to scammers <laughs> to uh, to funding highs and lows. Thank you so much for giving up your time yes. today. And I we don't doubt that. Uh, those listening to this will have got a lot out of a lot of out of the episode and we wish you all the best for whatever lies ahead for easy crypto so thanks so much thank you very much Miriam it's been lovely doing the podcast with you